two chats with Derek Reimer in the same week. Two times a week. How did I get so lucky that I get to talk to Ben again? It's unbelievable. Truly hashtag blessed. Yes. <laughs> hashtag double week. How are you feeling like getting two in a week? Like was it, did it feel, does it feel like a lot to you? I think it's going to be good. This week is kind of a weird week for me already because I'm traveling. So I was kind of reflecting before recording and like, well, what do I have interesting to talk about? But actually, I have, I've been doing a bit of reading because I tend to do that when I'm on airplanes and things and, and just have like smaller chunks of time to do stuff and feeling a bit inspired by the kind of the stuff I've been reading. So, so we can dive into that a little bit too. So yeah. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm digging it. I mean, like, we'll, we'll see. It's week one. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. But yeah, we'll see how we'll see how it feels. Mm-hmm. Do you want to just get some stuff out? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I'm traveling, so I'm in I'm on West Coast right now, and so it is 7:50. If you can hear the uh, the freshness in my voice from just waking up, <laughs> um, I've been reading rereading through uh, Deep Work, which is sort of if you think about it, a kind of a manifesto behind what level stands for. And I'll admit that I was a little bit lazy on my first time contact with Deep Work. Like I, I knew it was going to be great and I kind of grasped the principles that he was talking about, but didn't really um, read in depth a lot of the kind of meat of the book. I've been kind of forcing myself to just just kind of go through and man, there is a lot of gold in there. Just so many things that are inspiring me for how to position level, how to market it. And also recognizing things in my own uh, work patterns that need to change. One of the things, the, the biggest thing that I'm that I'm implementing this week, and I've already started it so far so good, is I've removed Twitter and the email client off my phone. Mm, interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's like a great idea. One of his whole chapters is about embracing boredom and the fact that like we. I think mean, this is just kind of a societal problem today that we always want to fill in the gaps with with other things. So like, you know, if I'm standing in a checkout line or I'm deploying code to Heroku and it takes two minutes, my my inclination is to flip over to Twitter or email or just something that's going to give me give me a little bit of satisfaction, give me dopamine hits, whatever I'm seeking at the time. The problem with that is it's very it's actually a very dangerous habit to have, not just because it's an unproductive use of time or can induce stress, but also it it kind of trains your brain to always be in a constant state of being distracted and kind of unable to focus. So I pulled out a few of my favorite quotes. So here's one. You'll struggle to achieve the deepest levels of concentration if you spend the rest of your time fleeing the slightest hint of boredom. Another one. Efforts to deepen your focus will struggle if you don't simultaneously wean your mind from a dependence on distraction. I love that line, dependence on distraction, because that's essentially what it is in removing it. Now I'm basically putting those things that used to be gap fillers in my day kind of more into my different buckets for work. So like I'm not checking email until it is time to sit down and do work. And I'm putting time constraints on that. I'm not letting it be a thing that just that just kind of bleeds into all aspects of my day. And so far, I feel like I'm already feeling less stressed, more more in control of my day, which is, you know, it's kind of an amorphous thing. What does it mean to take control of your day? But I think part of it, piggybacking off of like what Sebastian had to talk about with ultra working is like being just more, more mindful, planning your day, letting, letting you control your day as opposed to your day kind of taking control of you. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's, I think it's going to be really good. So 
Nice. I like it. I'm curious how you maintain this in week three, four, mm-hmm. five. Yep. Because I've done the same the same thing and be like, this is amazing. This is the best. And then like it creeps in. And so it's like, how do you how do you do resets like a little bit later on to like stick with it? That's that's a hard question. I don't know. I, I feel like if I'm able to essentially train my brain not to depend on these things, can I actually get back to a place where I have them on my phone? Because it it would be convenient to be able to conduct some work on my mobile device it's basically just a a second computer of mine the problem is i'm i'm hooked right now you know like it's and so i can't be trusted with with these things like it's i don't know if i train myself enough to like not have an instinct of like i'll just pull out my phone in this moment of potential boredom then i might end up putting them back on i don't know we'll see yeah, it sounds tricky. Like, yeah, email would be hard for me to live without on the phone because sometimes you want to look up, like, what is my confirmation number from the whatever. Right. Yep. Um, but then that's how it kind of sneaks in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's just tricky. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing updates on this. Also, the thought that popped into my head is, like, send a copy of this book to everyone that mm-hmm. buys level. Yep. Totally. Like, it will endear you to them. It sort of is your manifesto writ large. Uh, like, it's it just feels like a nice fit there. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And I've, I've kind of thought about that already. Like, how do I, how can I work this in? Like, even if I end up doing eventually like more kind of outbound sales or something like that, I could see this totally being a strategy of like, I'll introduce myself to you by sending you a copy of this book that I think would be really interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So. I like it. A personalized copy with a handwritten note from exactly. Derek and the, the, the front cover sounds like an awesome kind of like yep. way to stand out to the people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. I take that. Cool. I'm into it. I don't know. There's just so much in there about kind of the the research behind behind like what's happening in the brain when it's in this steady state of of distraction and lack of concentration. And so it's giving me a lot of fodder just to like explore as I kind of think about how to position level on my marketing site. And so one thing that I'm planning to do soon, um, I talked about a little bit last time, is I want to try to recruit kind of the next wave of paying customers for level tease out the people who are most, you know, feeling the pain the most, willing to put down some money and start using the product. I have held off for now emailing the list because I think a lot of the people who have been sitting on the email list have been there for a bit, for a little while. They may not fully remember exactly what level is. And so I want in making kind of new contact with some of these folks, especially the ones who are a bit cold on the list, I want to be able to put a strong foot forward on reminding them what level is and why they should care about it. And I feel like my marketing site today is kind of the it's the the narrative that kind of explains how the product works. And so it kind of straddles between trying to touch on some of the some of the core problems that people are feeling and also getting into a bit of the product mechanics. And especially the product mechanics side of it is a bit out of date now, like the product has changed Mm. a ton. And so I want that. Yeah, it's a good problem. It's a good problem to have. But now it's like feeling a little bit a little bit crusty. So I, I want to kind of revisit that. And I think I'm going to take a little bit different approach and try to get back towards selling the solution and less out of the the weeds of how, how the product works. Like, I think it's important to have that, but I want to kind of get back to selling the, selling the solution. So cool. Sounds yeah. good. Yeah. I almost want to like book club deep work with you now. Oh, yes. You should totally read it. Um, yeah. Have you, have you read it cover to cover? No, I have not. Okay. Yeah. I read like the first third of it or something. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then I got distracted by Twitter. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, another another thing that I want to note that I think 
I guess sort of inspired by deep work too, is like, I'm trying to think of learning as a category, as a valid category of work that I allow myself to do during the day, (laughs) which is kind of weird to think that like, it makes total sense on the one hand, but for whatever reason, I just always relegated like reading a book like deep work to evenings or kind of the, the periphery of the day as opposed to the core part of my day. And that I think is a problem. Like if I'm only thinking of writing code or writing copy or something as quote unquote real work, then I'm really selling myself short, you know? So mm, yeah. You know who's really good about this is Spencer. He'll just like have a book that's like re- relevant to the work that he's doing and kind of takes breaks that way. It's just like, okay, write code for a while. And then you're like, I'm kind of sick of being at my standing desk and writing code, like lay down, grab that book, read a half a chapter and then like get back to it later. That's so good. It's a really good habit. It's a total, entirely productive use of time. Every time I do this and I power through a book and start really not just like sipping a page or here, here or there from it, but like actually powering through it. And I always end up, if it's a good one, (laughs) I always end up like all kinds of thoughts and jotting down notes like crazy. And it's just kind of like getting a lot of wheels turning. And so I, and that happened again to me yesterday as I was just sitting in a coffee shop reading deep work in the middle of my, what was going to be my work day. And I'm like, why am I not doing this more often? This is, this is an, an entirely valid use of, of work time. So it's also good practice. Mm-hmm. I think I used to be able to like sit down with a book and read for like three and a half hours. No problem. And I would, I would did it a lot. Like when I was a kid before I like learned, like habituated myself to distraction. I would spend an afternoon that way sometimes. Like, oh, it's raining. Can't go outside. I'm just going to read for hours. And I would get completely absorbed. And it was amazing. And now it's like a struggle for me to read. Like my best results, like I get in bed. Like once I've like been like, okay, no more screens for the night. Lights are dim. I'm just going to read for a while. Uh, but then that that's like that's like my like falling asleep routine. So like I only get like 20 minutes before I start getting so tired I fall asleep anyway. But like the skill of like during the day, sit down for an hour and read a book without thinking like, oh, like, let me do this or what, how's that going or whatever. Like, man, it's hard now. Yes. Again, another, another thing Cal Newport points out is that like this, we think of like concentration, being able to focus, being able to concentrate, like, like what it requires to actually sit down and read for a while. We think of that as like, oh, it's just a, it's just a habit I need to form. But he's like, it's actually not just a habit. It's actually, you need to train your brain similar to training your musculature, you know, like it's, it's something that takes practice. You, you have to start, you have to start limited and you won't, you won't be able to probably do it effectively from the get go, but you need to work up towards it. And so it's basically a skill that a lot of us have lost, me included, kind of the ability to go deep and focus. And this is a very um, salient point for level two. It's like, I think I really need to be thinking about how to. I'm selling software, but I'm really selling a new way of working. And so what other things do I need to be producing and bundling with the software to help people get back into this mindset? And maybe part of it is like when you when you buy a level, you get a certain number of copies of deep work or something like that. You know, like Yeah, it, man. I mean you, you need the level academy, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I feel like you're 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 trying to build a movement as much as mm-hmm, a software product mm-hmm, in a way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That might completely change my pricing. That might completely change the way that I allow you know people to sign up. Like it's it's going to affect a lot of things. I think. Um, yeah, I think Sebastian's thing that he threw out about like 
what if level cost like 10k a month or, or like a, a 10k upfront kind of thing and included this like i that resonated with me mm-hmm. like I, I your response seemed like you're like i don't really want to do a sales process for that kind of thing which i get um because confirmed that stuff is kind of annoying but also like it, it did i was like that seems like kind of a good idea to me i wouldn't i wouldn't write that off just yet. no no i'm definitely not and i think um i mean i think in a perfect world like to keep the services component like the, the human services component to a minimum for me would optimize for what is fun for me as the founder, you know? And so I kind of need to keep that in balance. Like I want to be as far to that side as I, as I can be, but I also wanted to obviously execute on this, on this business the best possible way I can. So, or another, maybe even better way of framing that is mm-hmm. you want to give your customers success. Yes. So yep. if you just give them a software product, maybe that gets them successful, but like what else can you give them that increases those odds right. even more? Yep. Yep. Exactly. That's something I've been thinking about recently of like kind of like our mission. Like this came to me because I was like working on our onboarding campaign where it's like, okay, what email should we send people and what should they say? And the first, my first crack at this was like, I need to tell them all about Tuple so they know how to use it well. So they like the product. And like recently I'm more like, some people are like, Hey, we just want, we're already doing this. We just want a better tool. But a lot of people are kind of like, we think we should be doing more remote pairing. And one of the things that makes us annoying is that we think the tools are not very good, but there's a lot of other things that keep people from doing successful pairing. And so just like making it all about tuple is like, is kind of nearsighted in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're selling a solution to an, an underlying problem. And the problem is not, for most people, it's not that I'm looking for this exact tool to fit, fill a slot in my you know, set of tools I'm using, you know, some people are some like people that, are. and that is, that is some of our customers for sure. Like they're like, we already do this. We just hate these tools. So like, sometimes that's fine. But I think a lot of the time it's like the VP of engineering is like, like, I can't hire enough people locally. We have to start supporting remote developers. I need to make sure they feel connected and we have a complex code base. So they have to get up to speed. And, um, I want them to understand our, like how we do things. And like, none of that is like tuple. Like tuple is part of the answer to that, but their their outcome that they want is well trained, happy, productive remote developers. And so there's just like there's just that's just such a bigger circle. And thinking about more like how do I like how do I optimize for that? And the thing that they actually really want is I think going to be really useful for us. Yeah, and I think it's good to be thinking about that early. And that's like I think a lot of your your marketing and your positioning will need to speak to that and not just like. I mean, it, I think you're going to be able to get a lot of early adopters on the premise of like, we're Screen Hero 2.0, you know, like this beloved tool you had, we're a good replacement for it. And like, those are going to be the probably the easiest sales, right? Is the people who fully get it, they understand the need for it. They're just, there's just been a vacuum and they're looking for to fill that, you know, but then that, that will dry up at a certain point and then you'll have to actually start kind of speaking to the uh, kind of the underlying problems to get to that next, that next concentric circle. Yeah, like when a team starts a trial now or like a starts our first month, we, we're giving them like an open invite. So it's like anybody can use it for this flat, flat cost. If four, there are four people that already do a lot of remote pairing and they start using it and they like it, then cool, that's four seats. But if like part of our onboarding and training and whatnot converts two or three people that kind of wish they did this, but just like haven't gotten over the hump or like don't really know how or something, if it converts them into people that remote pair a couple times a month, that's, you know, good for them and good for us. You know, like we can, we can expand the market within a company effectively with like really good kind of training, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So yeah. Mission stuff. Thinking about the broader mission, I think is a kind of a powerful thing. I had been feeling this anxiety because I kept seeing this and like, you know, 
this is like a classic startup advice blog post was like think about what impact you want to have in the world and i was kind of like i'm not sure we think about this very much and now it's like oh yeah like this deep work stuff you're talking about like a really nice way to achieve more deep work i think that's kind of immediately implementable is to pair program more i paired with spencer this morning we did like 90 minutes it was more fun than programming alone it was like a social activity which makes it more fun for me because I, I like the social aspect of things but we stayed very focused like wasn't checking email wasn't fooling around um, so like we accomplished deep work for sure both of us that sort of state of flow is easier to get into because we keep making progress because we have two heads on it man it's just a powerful practice increasing the amount of pair programming that happens in the world is a mission i could get behind the thing that was like the knee of the curve for me in terms of uh, skill development in programming was when was this like five month period when I got my first Ruby job and sat next to a guy who knew a lot about Rails and who used Vim and was just a good experienced programmer. I learned more in those five months than I had. We just paired like most days, at least for a little while. And it was like totally transformative for me. If I can bring more of that into the world, then damn, that would feel great. Apprenticeship is a concept that is very infused into a lot of trades in the world and it's not necessarily one in the software development realm but anytime you're working on a problem even if you're you know especially if you're one person is is brand new junior uh, pairing with a with a more senior person that's there's an obvious kind of apprenticeship um, uh, mentality there but then even when you're kind of peers you're always kind of fluctuating between well i have more expertise on this let me add that to the conversation and then maybe a little flip-flop and the other person will have something some expertise to add to the conversation and so you're constantly kind of apprenticing each other this is like a the way that people get into certain trades and i think so i think it's underrated in a lot of other realms that don't kind of use that model mm, it, yeah it totally works like people are have been learning things from each other for so long and that's sort of like let me do a little bit. Now you try a little bit and maybe, maybe, maybe think about this. Like here's like a small correction, like learn by imitation, learn by trying with sort of like immediate feedback from someone. Like it's all just powerful. Yeah. There's, so. as you, when you brought that up, there's that reminded me of a, of a passage from, from deep work where they're talking about, um, he calls it the whiteboard effect. And he says, uh, this back and forth represents a collaborative form of deep work common in academic circles. It leverages what I call the whiteboard effect for some types of problems. Working with someone else at the proverbial shared whiteboard can push you deeper than if you were working alone. The presence of the other party waiting for your next insight, be it someone physically in the same room or collaborating with you virtually can short circuit the natural instinct to avoid depth. And so I think that's exactly what you're, what you're getting out with pairing too, you know? Oh man. I like that. Yeah. I might need to send this to our customers too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm, I dig it. Yeah. I'm, I'm feeling these things. Mm -hmm. The sort of bigger picture thing is, mm -hmm. is really useful to me. Yeah. We're both hitting at a very a similar mission from different angles with different different types of tools. And this is just I I do strongly feel like this is the type of mission that I can I can really be like feel good about and be working on for a while on on trying to Yeah. Like, I wonder if one day we like offer like find one or two more companies and do a kind of like a remote deep work bundle kind of mm -hmm. thing. Mm-hmm just like tools for remote software teams that want to work async and deeply yeah. and like it's a package of a three or four things or something yep that very thing is has been resurfacing in my idea notebook from time to time and it came up again yesterday where i'm like thinking about what could be my one what my main piece of like content that kind of sort of similar to your pair programming um, guide you know and i think i think it's somewhere around kind of 
less about the specific tool. So maybe it doesn't even live on Level's website. It, you know, maybe it's just it's something else. And I could even it might even include like links to competitors and stuff. Like like these are all tools that kind of can help you achieve the goals of a more mindful workplace or how, however, you know, whatever I call it, laying out the, the, the research behind it and the philosophy and why, why you should care about this and kind of all that, all that stuff. So totally. Yeah. I dig it. Yeah. Just slot that into your schedule. Right. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. And so I'm much, I'm looking so much for, to do. I know I'm looking forward to reporting back. Cause I feel like, I mean, obviously it's very early that I'm, that I'm kind of taking this newfound rigor and, and forcing myself not to not to be distracted by Twitter all the time, but I'm I, I'm optimistic that I'm going to be a bit more productive and not feel so stressed about about my productivity level. I'd be shocked if you weren't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I, I have to talk about a thing. Okay, yeah. Shoot. All right. So first of all, shout out to Podcast Motor. Yes, Podcast Motor is the company we use to basically do everything of this podcast that is not you and me talking. They make our lives so easy. It's great. We record the podcast. We drop two audio files in a Dropbox. And then a week later, the edited, show-noted, published version hits the world. And that is wonderful. So props to them. Thanks for being awesome. Podcast Motor, we like you. Next is I got a small celebration, a little gratitude moment. So we added a like call quality feedback thing in Tuple after you finish a call. I just looked this morning and for the last week, we have as a scale of one to five, five being good. 86% of people had a four or five, which is pretty legit. That's cool. But the thing I'm, I'm super pumped on that I was working on this morning is I've been doing these sales calls with people. And a lot of the times the, the person I talk to is not the person with a credit card. They need some other people to get on board this idea of tri-tuple. Often it's like a senior developer kind of person, team lead, whatever. I talked to a VP of engineering the other day that had to ask the CTO for a credit card. And I was like, that seems weird, but whatever. People have started asking, like, do you have any like sales materials or like details about this that we could write? I could show somebody or like a demo video. Like, cause I'll do a demo with someone like that was cool. But like, it'd be cool if I could like show some of this to somebody else. And so I was like, yeah, I totally, I totally do need that. And so I started thinking about how I would do this. And then like the scope expanded in my mind. And so I'm, I'm building something a little bit bigger that I think is going to be pretty useful. All right, so if you go to like something like tuple.app slash partners slash level.app, that's what it is, level.app, I fire off a request to Clearbit and I grab your logo and your company name. And so now you already have a personalized looking page, like tuple hearts level with your logo kind of thing. So it's like, we're, con- we're considering doing a deal. Uh, or like you know, getting tuples so we can have these benefits. And so like listing some positive things. Here are some tweets of people saying nice things. Uh, here's an FAQ section that people often ask about. Also, I am querying which people with a level.app email address are already on our mailing list. So I have a section now which is like, people from your company have asked to hear about tuple already. And here is, then I fire off requests to Clearbit to enrich those things. And so it's like, Derek Reimer and your picture, employee number two and their picture. Uh, and so like I can actually show like social proof of people from your company wow. are all, already interested in this thing. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Um, <laughs> right? And so it's, and like, this is all dynamic. So it's like, I don't even need to make this page. 
specifically for each person i can just give you a url and like there it is but like i think especially the mailing list thing makes it feel very personalized to you and like it is personalized i just didn't do it by hand and then like i can drop a payment link at the bottom so it's like you know, it, it serves as like the sales and, and like, of course, like a demo video would be, is perfect on this page. But over time, I can flesh out this page, keeping it mostly 100% dynamic and create this thing that is like almost like a public version of a CRM. Yeah. It's like a personalized CRM landing page to try to close the deal. Hmm. That's and like fascinating. I could also eventually, yeah, I can like even increase the sophistication a little bit. And like maybe I have four or five like key value propositions that for Tuple. And I just pay attention to which one resonates the most on the demo with someone. And then I like click a button and say, like, show this one kind of thing and tailor it a little bit with some a little bit of manual human stuff. I think this is gonna help a lot. I'm like really excited about this idea. I woke up at five in the morning the other day and couldn't stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So this ties in with another book that I've been uh, kind of skimming through. It was shared to me by a, a sales person, a friend of mine. It's called The Challenger Sale. And it analyzes salespeople and who, who proved to be most effective after the most recent recession. And like, what are the characteristics? So it kind of puts them into different buckets. And there's some things that are counterintuitive about like, well, you would expect maybe the relationship builder type of salesperson to be more effective because they kind of develop a, a tight bond with the customer but they've actually proved to be one of the least effective archetypes but the one that the one that proves to be generally most effective whether the economy is up or down is the challenger archetype and like two of the core competencies of this type is the ability to teach and challenge the customer that's where the challenger part comes from and kind of push them outside of their comfort zone and to tailor tailor the the message to what they care about in effect, you're kind of you're hitting both of those things really hard. You're tailoring with with kind of enrichment and and especially when you mentioned that like oh they care more about this thing and so that's what I'm going to present to them on their customized sales page basically, and then the teaching component of you know videos or whatever else you're including there. Um, plus, I mean, I feel like the the, the added benefit of that of that social uh, you know these people in your org are already interested. That's like. That is right. Super cool, compelling. Right? Yeah. Do you know what else I was thinking? Is under that at the bottom of that list, like a, let's assume this link gets shared around a little bit, like maybe dropped in Slack or something. Add my another subscribe box, so it's like subscribe for updates on this particular thing, like tuple working with level. Yeah. And then I add that person to that list. <laughs> and so like maybe by the time the decision maker sees this, it's like oh wow, like seven people from our company like want to hear about this. It's like, well, this is an easy, easy decision to make. You're sort of facilitating grassroots support for something. You're giving power to the employees to voice their support of like, yeah, I'm interested in this thing. I think I would use it. And then it could spark a conversation where like, oh, I see a lot of you like, you know, CTO or VP of engineering or whatever. I see a lot of you are signed up on this thing. Do we want to use it? Like, and that's, yep. yeah. dude, Clearbit's incredible. So like there's also this uh, Clearbit reveal API basically like looks at IP addresses and figures out who they are. And so, like, I could add a section with this just game. Like, I could add it. Like, people from level have viewed our landing page forty-three times since March first or whatever. It's just like all this like internal social proof. I think that I can leverage. This feels like its own product to me. <laughs> it almost is. Yeah, I was like, you know, yeah, like it's. This is just. I just can't imagine this will not increase my close rate like crazy. Because there's just there's just a bunch of times I'll do a demo and it's just like hard to get the next thing done. We're like, I like it. That sounds good. Let me go ask my VP. 
And like that, that just fails sometimes. It's just, they, it's just not a priority or it just feels hard enough for that's the VP and they'll come back and they'll say, oh, they said it sounded kind of expensive or like we're pretty busy right now. And that's just kind of code for like, you didn't really prove that it was going to be good or valuable or anything. This is an asset I can build over time. So it's like, I can make this page better and better. Like add a really good demo video, add a really good FAQ, add some, like just keep finding things to add to it so that like it just gets better and better at converting people. Wow. That's very fa- That's fascinating. It's almost like mm-hmm. it's similar to like kind of right message, like tailoring yeah, personalization, yeah, yeah. but it's for yep. it's for a, a bit of a, a higher touch process, I guess. Or yep, yeah. And I can also like, there's no reason to only send it to someone I've done a demo to, right? Like if I like look at my our list of subscribers, and it's like, oh, like seven people from Company X have uh, asked to hear about Tuple. Why not send like go figure out who the VP of Engineering is and send it to him or her? Yep. Yep. Totally. Yeah. So this to me feels like a programmer's answer to sales, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, which to me is a good sign where That's it's great. like combining yeah. like very disparate skills together. I don't know if I'm just like high on my own supply, mm-hmm. but I feel like if I showed this to like your average salesperson, they'd be like, oh my God, like mm-hmm. how do I get this kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. It just feels like a powerful tool, I think. I mean, that's looking at how like Brennan Dunn engineered double your freelancing and and then ultimately right message came out of that because, but you know, he just like applied a developer mindset to mm-hmm. to optimizing the marketing funnel of this thing. And it obviously yielded insane, you know, insanely good results. So, mm. yeah, that's true. Yeah. So so we'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to work on it. I'm excited to try it and like see, see what people's responses to it. Nice. Well, if this tuple thing doesn't work out, I think you have another product uh, <laughs> that you could ship. <laughs> could, could be. Could mm-hmm. be. Um, so that's that's what's up with me. Cool. Uh, second podcast of the week, I say we wrap it. Yeah, let's wrap it. Cool. Notes of the show. Notes of the show can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Cool. Thanks for listening. Times two. Yes. Double O. See you next time.